Uh, this morning is our final, final Sunday looking at uh, James. We'll look at James chapter 5. Uh, and we've just kind of looked at the highlights. We haven't looked at everything in James. There's a lot of great stuff, but we just kind of uh, looked at some of the highlights. But this, this morning we're looking at James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to uh, turn with me, James uh, chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of the faithful will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up, and anyone who has committed sin will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sin to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous, of the righteous is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being like us, and he prayed fervently and that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth yielded its harvest. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and is brought back by another, you should know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save the sinner's soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let us pray. Dear Lord, as always, we praise you and thank you for your presence with us, how you love us, and I thank you for the gift of your word, and just pray that your spirit be among us, and may all that is said be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week we looked at conflict and, and that coveting can lead to that and, and all the stuff we looked at. Well, this week it's really focusing on, on prayer, um, but also on what strays us from, from the Lord. That's how James concludes the letter. That's the final thought in the letter. So it's a, it's a big idea. So here he begins this in what we read in verse 13 by saying, those among you who are suffering, you need to pray. Now, that sounds simple, and we read over that, and it's another one of those things that, well, of course, that sounds certainly feasible. But I want us to pause again and think about, but actually practically living into that. That it, it means suffering and difficulty when things are, are struggling for us. In those moments, we need to pray. Because sometimes it's in the midst of, of difficult and struggle that we can be most tempted when things get stressful and, and difficult. We've, we've seen that earlier in James, how the enemy will get us focused on the negative stuff and, and do whatever can, can be done to lead us astray with temptation. And, and we talked about that. To where in those midst of suffering and, and difficulty, he says you need to pray. You know, sometimes in the midst of suffering and difficulty, prayer may not be the first thing we run to. Sometimes on Sunday morning, we will begin with, with reading from the Psalms, a responsive reading. And, and, and 
sometimes I really like the Psalms that talk about in, in our midst of struggle and difficulty, Lord, you are refuge and our strength. And many of the Psalms have that idea in them. But, you know, that's something that's easy to read and say. Lord, you're our refuge and our strength. We run to you in the midst of difficulty. But is that true? Sometimes it is. But sometimes it's not. You know, sometimes in the midst of difficulty and stress and struggle, we, we, we may not run to the Lord first. Or there may be stuff in us that, that is difficult. Sometimes we may run to binge-watching something on Netflix Sometimes we, we may run to food or, or alcohol or some type of addiction. Or sometimes we, we may run to some other things. It was years ago that I realized in myself, and I even had to tell staff of the church that, uh, where I was working, pastoring, that I let them know, you know, if I seem really funny, you know, if I'm really humorous, if, it's, if, it, if it just seems like I'm firing on all cylinders and it's, it's really funny, but it's, you're also wondering, that's, that could be a bit sarcastic. Is, is he being a little sarcastic? Is, is that, was a, that may be a little much, but, but it was funny. It was real funny. That probably means I'm hurting because that can sometimes be something I'll run to. Or we can run to, to being so busy or we can run to we can run to all kinds of things and remember the whole big picture here is when in trial consider it joy because the testing of your faith produces endurance that's what he begins chapter one with well how that joy happens how that is you know when you're struggling when you're suffering the first place we need to run is prayer As I said, sometimes that's not natural, but over the years, God has put me in situations and I've learned. Um, but I'm still not great at it. I mean, I, I'm a pastor. And sometimes that doesn't come as natural to me. I want to rant and rave or I want to get frustrated or I, I want to go run somewhere. Luckily, when I'm running or when I'm outside exercising or something, I have a tendency to pray. So it may work out. But sometimes it's my wife who that's more natural for, that saying to, to pray. And in the, in the heat of the moment, when I'm frustrated and feeling bad, and she says, well, let's just pray. There's stuff in me sometimes, well, yeah, I just don't want to pray. But I've learned, yeah, we probably, we probably should pray. And I've never regretted praying. That that idea... When you're suffering, when there's difficulty and stress, is sometimes when we are tempted to do all the things that have been talked about here, of not taming the tongue or getting coveting or having selfish ambition or frustrating or comparing ourselves to others or focusing in on the negative stuff, whatever the way the enemy can take us out, we can become really susceptible to it. So here he's saying, these moments of suffering run to God first now then the next thing that he says and, and if you're if, if things are going well if any are cheerful what do you need to do sing praises to God that it's it's odd how you know sometimes suffering can can 
force us into prayer. Sometimes suffering can force us into seeking Jesus, to, to seeking God in a way. You can see that in the world. You know, when some horrible tragedy happens, sometimes it, it gets people going to church or seeking God or praying. A lot of times it doesn't. A lot of times daily stress and struggle can get us to run to other things, but sometimes it, it can. Well, the other side of that coin is true. Sometimes when things are good, you know, when everything's going great, when you feel like, you know, all the bills are getting paid, things are going good, business is going good, life's going good, everything's going good, we can be most susceptible to temptation and sin and going in the wrong direction as well. But sometimes when things are going so well, we can maybe think we don't need God or maybe not be aware of how we need God or maybe that, that there are all kinds of things that can happen. So it says when things are going good, when you're cheerful, Sing praises to God. Realize the source. That goes back to chapter 1 when we talked about weeks ago. That sometimes the enemy will get us looking at the negative, looking at the problems. And you need to know there is good. And to give thanks to God for the good. Who is the father of lights, who made it all, and there's no shadow. There is all of that stuff. That is part of it. When things are, are cheerful and good, sing praises to God. Know where that comes from. That's what that will strengthen you. Then, in the midst of trial, you may find the joy. Then the the next thing that's said is about people who are sick, and it, it can mean weakness. Put in these terms, it's more talking probably physically sick, but it can mean weak and whatever made you weak. But those who are sick are told to do what? To call on the elders of the church to come and pray for them and anoint them with oil. Now, I want us to, to pause here for a moment to just think about it. Now, that's a passage, and some churches live into that better than the others. Some, that's kind of you know, anointing with oil and praying for healing, and it gets difficult for, for some denominations and some, some churches. But I want us just to pause and think about it. That in the ancient world, and even today, but in the ancient world, most cultures, and that's true of ancient Hebrew culture, ancient um, Greco-Roman culture, most cultures looked at, at sickness as you did something wrong. It was somehow you, you're cursed or something's happened to you or some horrible sickness, you, you've, you've had a, a problem. And usually you would separate yourselves from people who had some type of sickness. Now, and, and while we may have think we have progressed past that today, it still happens. And sometimes when somebody gets really sick and is struggling, and I think our culture has allowed us to, you know, we may send a text, or, but we have a tendency to, to separate ourselves. Especially if you think about those that their, their sickness may be mental illness. They can often be overlooked or left out or... There's all kinds of sickness, but sometimes we have a tendency to distance ourselves. And those people are the weak. The word literally means weak. When you're weak, 
And we can often look at those that are, are sick or struggling or as, as weak. But what does it say about the weak? They're the ones with the power. We don't think of that as a powerful situation. That is usually the overlooked and left out. But it says, if, if, you're, if you're feeling weak and sick, you have the, the right and the authority to call on the elders of the church to come and to pray for you and to anoint you. In an ancient culture that looked at, you know, if you're weak and sick, you need to be shunned. You need to go over there. You don't have much power and authority. You, you don't. Here, Jesus had a tendency to turn that stuff upside down. He would reach out to the leper. He connected with the, the broken. Here, James is saying, if you're sick, and call on the elders of the church to come and pray for you and anoint you with oil. That's a powerful thing. And we think of elders. We think maybe of older people are elders. But in Scripture, elder, that word there refers to elders, people in in pastoring or preaching or a bishop is where that idea someone with authority in the church someone who has got some authority in the role I mean it is saying when you're sick you feel all weak you got the right to call the bishop to come anoint you with oil or or the pastor elder I um, want to say to as well in, in being a pastor and I, in the United Methodist Church if you're uh, you know ordained to be you know a, a, a pastor over a church you refer to as an elder the order of elders um, some some elders some pastors maybe have this spiritual gift of of shepherding and pastoral care that they can almost intuitively know when to call and to reach out to someone. And I'll have to say, there's been a few times that God may lay somebody on my heart that I need to call and reach out to. Or, But the reality is, it says here, if you're sick, what are you, what are you supposed to do? It's the, only, it's the only responsibility you have. It's the only thing you're asked to do is you call for the elders. Sometimes I think in churches it would be so much so much easier you know there, there used to be uh, pastors could go to the hospital and you'd get the, the the clergy record and it would give you a clergy record and you would flip through and and find and, and you could look and see if anybody in your church was in the hospital that day well HIPAA laws changed all that you can't do that and sometimes we think that you know the pastor has this sixth sense or maybe that they're always looking out on Facebook for who might be but I just, sometimes in the churches, if, if people would realize when you're sick, call for the elder, they'd let them know. They don't have an idea. Maybe your, your, your pastor doesn't know. And call. Have the elder of the church, have elders in the church, have to, to come and, and pray over you and anoint you with oil. And then the faith bring about the healing and one of the things I think we get confused over is sometimes we assume that's the faith of the person that's sick you'll hear well you know you didn't have enough faith so it didn't heal you that's not the faith that's mentioned here it's the faith of the person who's doing the praying 
the person who's doing the anointing. The, the, the sick, sick person who's feeling weak, their only responsibility is well, just call. Call for the elders of the church to come and to pray for you and to anoint you. Now, also, I want to mention the anointing. Sometimes that is uh, strange for us. The anointing with oil um, happened in the ancient world, and um, people will often think about, you know, this special holy oil. That, and, and, yeah, it's special. You pray a blessing over the oil, the, the oil. But it is not some guaranteed potion that you're going to miraculously get healed. It is not the oil that does the healing. And there again, you always have to remember, healing happens in all kinds of ways. But what is the point of anointing, biblically? I mean, the anointed things in the Old Testament, all the, you know, the utensils and the things, and even the temple itself was anointed, and, you know, the, the candle stand and the stuff they would use all got anointed. That means anointed with oil. And the word anointed is actually, the, it is the word that, that gets translated Messiah. So actually that stuff got messiahed. And you would actually anoint a king there to have a special role and be kind of dedicated to God. So you would anoint a king. That's why the king of kings and lord of lords, that's Jesus, ends up being called the Messiah. But it's the idea of anointing with oil, being anointed. That the bottom line purpose for anointing is just dedicating and surrendering to God. This is for God's use, and we believe God can work through this. And yes, praying for physical healing. But sometimes I have to pray for, will you just heal at the point of deepest need? Because I don't even know what that is. But the thing is, sometimes it takes a vulnerability on behalf of the, of the person who's sick and weak to call and ask. I need prayer. I need healing, I would like to be anointed with oil. Here's where I'm hurt. And it may be a physical thing that's causing weakness. It, it, weakness. it may be mental. It may be depression. But to be in a community, is, it's what the church is supposed to look like. Where you, you know, that's the person that has the authority to call and to invite and then to go and to anoint. And to pray. To, to anoint means surrender it to God. I remember years and years ago, pastoring a church, and I'll just be honest, this was one of the frustrating things for me as a pastor, was pastoral care. When, you know, when to go, what to say, and you know, I always felt compassion to go. But when someone called and they're really sick and you go to the hospital, and I would think, you know, I'm not a doctor. I don't, I don't know what to do. Uh, I'll pray, and you know, I'd pray for them. And then it was studying James, and it was this passage and then also in the United Methodist Book of Worship, there is a healing service that you anoint people for healing. And this is the passage that is read, James chapter 5. And you, you, so what I started to do was to go and ask people, you know, where God convicted me as well. I'm an elder of the church. That's what, there's a plaque on the wall, I mean, a, a, a certificate on the wall that says Order of Elders. I'm an elder of the church, and here's some oil, and there's a sick person, and that's what the Bible says. So 
I guess that's something I can do. Began to just, as God would lead, to just invite people. You know, would you like to be anointed with oil? And then I would pray over the oil and tell them, you know, this isn't a special potion. This is just dedicating you in this situation and just inviting God to work in it. And it's an outward, visible sign of the surrender to the Holy Spirit. We've already seen that in James where he says, fully surrender yourself. It was an outward, visible sign of doing that in the midst of, of weakness and sickness and struggle. So we just anoint and pray. Some of you have, have heard me pray for healing. And I usually pray, God, you heal in all kinds of ways, how you made our body, how medical professionals and their healing, but you also heal miraculously. So we just, we as, as the great physician, surrender this to you and invite your healing. And I pray for physical healing. Well, then, and I, and I sometimes got to see God work in it. God, I, I saw some miracles happen. Sometimes the physical healing didn't happen, but maybe relational healing or spiritual healing. Or, and then God convicted me on some more of that, it says, about confessing your sins one to another and the faith of the person praying. And began to just want to expect God to work and then I began adding to that. Of, you, know, well, you know, it says there's a point in the uh, Methodist book of worship where you get to the healing service that you, you confess sin. Well, sometimes we want to read that like, well, the person that's sick better confess all their sin. And if they've got some sin that they hadn't confessed, they're just not going to get healed. I, I don't think that's what it's saying. Maybe so. But you know where I got convicted was just... Maybe I need to start the ball rolling. Because it takes, it, it, it takes some vulnerability to confess sin. God began to convict me, well, Chuck, why don't you confess your sin? And so sometimes I would confess my own fear, my own uncertainty of what to say, my own doubt. Confess my own. If, sometimes if you know, I've had a frustrating day and maybe said something to my kids or something, I should, oh, I may confess that. Confession. And then make an opportunity for the other person. And it doesn't mean you've got to confess everything. But it is confession and repentance we have seen over and over is the gift of the gospel. It is the good news that all you have to do is repent and God will work. Repentance makes room for the Holy Spirit to work. And I've had to see more and more things happen around healing. As I said, some physical healing. Some spiritual healing. Sometimes relationships where the people were estranged in the room in ways I didn't even know God would work. Sometimes they, they didn't get physically healed. But the sickness would bring restoration in a spiritual way. Because see, when it says that confess your sins one to another so that you will be healed, and healed has a double meaning there. Can mean physical healing, spiritual healing, emotional healing. Then understand all healing in Scripture is to point towards spiritual healing. And I've, I've said that before. Some of you may have heard me say that before. That you know all physical healing in Scripture is to point to the eternal healing that comes from God. That there's people that Jesus didn't heal. 
there's people that Jesus did heal, even that he raised from the dead, that then died of something else later. That physical healing, even when, when, the, when the kingdom of God breaks in and you get physical healing, it's not eternal. It, the point of it is to draw people into the spiritual healing. That is how God wants to work, and that is what is eternal. So if we think about that idea of when you're sick or when you're weak and you want prayer and, and maybe anointing, ask for it. And what that means is we're just going to surrender this whole situation to God and we're going to pray for physical healing, manifestations of healing, but healing can happen in all kinds of ways. And there are some tragic, tragic things and some difficult sicknesses. We're going we're gonna to claim and, and, and invite God to work in the midst of all of it. Because more along the lines of what that, what that means. And confession and repentance is just an atmosphere that is ripe for the Holy Spirit to work. Well then, James goes on and says about if you restore somebody who has drifted away. Now, where that fits here is realize that's what we've been talking about. James is talking about, hey, if you're suffering, pray. Because when you're suffering, you, you can sometimes be more right to drift away. Hey, but if you're cheerful and things are good and everything's going great, you need to sing praises to God. Because sometimes when everything's going good, you can drift away. sometimes when you're sick and the reality is we're all going to die of something and there's a point and a place in our lives that we all are going to get sick we're going to get weak as we age as I mean it's just it's, it's the result because there's sin in the world and when you're sick or weak you can you can be sometimes right to, to, to stray so that's when you call the elders and you pray and all this stuff. And then it says to, to those who are in the community of faith, you, telling them, if you are part of the restoration of someone else back, you need to know the significance of what that means. I mean, it's, it's like when, when Jesus tells Peter, you've got the keys. You've got the keys of the kingdom here. What you loose and what you bound going to be loose and bound in heaven. It's, I mean, it's this, you have got the authority because of the gospel to restore and change lives. James is just saying in the way of, you have got the ability to be part of bringing people back to Jesus. What that means is when you see somebody straying, the church needs to be a place where we reach out to them where we care about other people, to where we, when we see somebody straying, we, we share it, we say it, we invite accountability where we want to know, but where we'll also just hey, I see this in your life and maybe a problem. But we need to see that because it can be kingdom eternal results here. James is saying, you, you be part of that person 
being redeemed and at the same time that can cover a multitude of sins now i don't think james means hey if you if you win somebody to jesus you're you can then sin, do some extra sinning because that gets covered up that's not what's being said here we've already seen in james his letter that sometimes small things can lead to devastating consequences from how we use our tongues to coveting or comparing or simple things can affect what we say to someone else or how we interact with other people or our family or our kids or, you know that sin always affects the innocent and that can result in how they deal with someone else and he james has already said just you know how you misuse your mouth or how you have a desire for something that's not yours can eventually lead down the road of someone committing murder. To what James is saying here, when you care enough to reach out to other people and when, you, when someone gets restored, yes, it's, it's their life that's being changed, but you may be covering a multitude of sins for generations among people. Well, that's how he concludes this letter. It began with, in the midst of trial and difficulty, because the church is going to see that. Consider it all joy. Because when, when you're heat of things, when you're, when you're in the game, there's, when you're really reaching out to do what God wants you to do, there's going to be opposition. And when that happens, consider it joy, because it's going to produce endurance and have a perfect result. Guess what? People didn't fully accept Jesus. You're not in bad company. That's how he begins it. And then he begins to talk over and over about how we need to be aware of the simple things that can lead us astray. Be active in our own lives and in the lives of each other. And then he concludes it here with, if you're struggling and suffering and pray if you're joyful and cheerful and things are good you need to sing praises know where that comes from that can be a powerful testimony and if you're sick you need to call and ask for the elders and be open to a vulnerable enough to invite healing and, and we need to be vulnerable enough to to confess our sins to one another Repentance and confession make an atmosphere right for the Holy Spirit. So then the ultimate goal is what happens is people are restored and lives are changed and sin gets eliminated in the lives of people. Because I've said greed is one of the most deadly forces on the planet. The most deadly force is sin. That's why God can't stand it. It causes devastation and brokenness and consequences. And inviting us here to be part of the restoration of the lives of others. So may we hear that call. May we respond to it. Let us pray. Dear Lord, I just pray. I pray for those that maybe are struggling to pray. And I pray for those around them, maybe Christian friends, that sometimes when we're in the midst of struggle and difficulty, we can't even pray for ourselves. We step in and pray for one another. 
But when there's suffering and struggle, where we run to prayer. When things are good, help us to celebrate and run to you and to, to sing praises to you and to know where the good comes from and to never lose sight and never be tempted in the midst of even good things. And some of us this morning are sick. Some of us may feel weak or alone. Depressed. Maybe physically sick. I pray they hear in this the authority they have. And what, what the expectation is, it is not, it's not maybe we think, well, if I and call out for the elders of the church to come and to pray and anoint with oil, I'm going to be, you know, bothering somebody. Or I, the enemy will get in and say that we are we're not worth it. But I pray you give them the courage to be vulnerable enough to ask for help. May we as a church respond, respond to one another. May we be a place that we confess sin to one another. And those in, in leadership roles, and especially pastor and myself, go in faith. Be willing to surrender the situation to you. Sometimes we don't know what to say. We're scared. A pastor can be scared and uncomfortable about what to do. But you meet us in that and your spirit can redeem and restore the places of brokenness. We just invite you to work and all of it is for your glory and for the restoration of people. That is your heart and your will that became tangible in flesh in Jesus. May we embrace that good news of the gospel and live our lives in response to it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.